Today's scripture comes from Matthew 26. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him one after another, Surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one to not have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, You have said so. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him, a large crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests to the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid his hand on Jesus and arrested him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Happy Easter, y'all. When did he get to be so big and when, like braces already? Like crazy. Joseph was here. So it's good to see you. Uh, So yes, it's Easter. It's actually Easter Sunday. Seriously, Easter Sunday. Uh, if you are of our um, brothers and sisters of the Eastern Orthodox traditions, it's Easter. If you happen to be in Odessa or Mariupol, Ukraine, it's Easter. So, pray about that for a moment. But here, in Las Cruces at Morningstar, it's the second Sunday of Easter in our liturgical calendar. We celebrated Easter and the resurrection and the passion of Good Friday and the hallelujahs of Palm Sunday in eight days, eight crazy days, to ponder this story we read, we study, we learned and relearned to live in the moments of the life of it, to sit in that space of our sanctified imaginations and to use our spiritual thinking caps to help guide us in new insight, deeper understanding, and more clarity of these stories, these last stories of Jesus. So I'm wondering, after last Sunday, how many of us experienced an abracadabra moment when we took time to celebrate the resurrection? That moment of all understanding of what it means. Anyone? Abracadabra? Who? Well, let me say this. Abracadabra, uh, it comes to us from the Hebrew, and it means, I will create as I speak. I will create abra as I speak. Cadabra. So, any abracadabra moments? Anything that just all understanding came? My tongue is in cheek as I say all of this. Uh, 
But I don't think that it is too much of a stretch that most of us would like a moment of magic from God. A moment where either we get what we want or maybe get a moment of understanding why. A moment that God will save me in this little thing called preaching. That God, as magician, will deliver through me divine inspiration and clarity. Not going to happen. The God is magician part or me delivering a clear sermon this morning. Not going to happen. Any of you all know what a midrash is? But uh, most of all of you know what a parable is, right? Parable? Parable, that's how Jesus taught. He, he told these stories uh, to raise questions, oftentimes questions within ourselves, to leave us in wonder of the simplicity of the wisdom and or the moment of where have I heard that before? Or, yeah, somewhere in the first five books of the Bible, that's where I've heard it. Well, a, a midrash is kind of the same thing, but it's not from Jesus. It comes from our, our rabbis, our teachers, our pastors, our preachers. We hear midrash from Amy each week. They are stories usually about her youngest daughter, Olivia, and they usually end with the saying, chocolate? Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to use midrash to explain what I think is one of the most, if not the most misunderstood person, and that is Judas Iscariot. And share with you all the great, the great adventure in grace he experienced. Again, just wondering out of curiosity. It's not a test, so if you can't name them all, it's okay. It just goes down on your permanent record. Um, anybody? Can you name the 12 disciples? All 12? Scott? <laughs> Simon, Simon. <laughs> James, James. You guys are up at six, kind of, John. Yeah. So you got Simon, who's later named Peter, Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Bartholomew, you know, on everybody's favorite list, right? Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Thaddeus, that's another top one, isn't he? Uh, Simon and Judas Iscariot. So, although the Gospels list the names of the disciples, some in different order, all of them have Judas Iscariot last. So, every good story, really good story, like really, 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 really good story, has a great duo of characters. A great protagonist and a great antagonist. And when this story was first experienced in real life, I don't think it played out exactly how it was written for us to read. Whether it was the today of 300 years or so after Jesus ascended from the darkness, or the today of 2022. What is in between the red letter words just reads just a little too black and white for me. We learn in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, that Judas was a thief. I do not know this to be accurate or inaccurate. I do think that this part of the scripture makes it way too easy for us to vilify Jesus. I mean, excuse me, Judas, 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 Judas. 
criminals. Inside joke. Let me read that again. I do think that this part of Scripture, where Judas is named a thief in John chapter 12, makes it way too easy for us to vilify Judas. And thus, our antagonist is born. Oh, by the way, Jesus, Jesus is the protagonist of our story, in case you were wondering. My question for you all today is this. What if, out of all of the disciples, out of all 12 of them, that by the time that they are on their way to Jerusalem, from Bethpage, going down the road, laying cloaks, waving palm branches in the air, Judas, what if Judas is the only disciple who gets exactly what Jesus is all about. That he gets it. Like, really gets it. That he gets what we would only hope to really get. What if Judas gets it? Shifting gears hard. Saturday, April 29th, 1972, Elton John appeared live in the Sun Bowl in El Paso. These are facts. But you all are more than welcome to fact check me later if you want. For 20 and a half years, there were no concerts in the Sun Bowl. None whatsoever. Couldn't be done. You would have to move mountain and earth plus the Texas State Legislature, to make it happen. One of the most beautiful settings to watch a football game and or a concert. Right there, foothills of Franklin. It's a beautiful place. Never been there. No music. 20 years. Until October 27, 1992. You two played in the stumble. And I was there. So was Sarah. Anybody else? Was there. Was there with 70,000 of my best friends. Tickets sold out in three hours. And um, for trying to Carter, what that means in purchasing tickets in 1992 was that you had to stand in line at Ticketmaster for three hours. And that's what I did. I was excited. All of El Paso was excited. The whole region was excited. The band came to town early, Guillermo. There were sightings. There were stories of drinking and Juarez. Bono famously said, tequila, how do you drink this awful stuff? My best friend and I and his girlfriend at the time, we snuck in because we knew how to do it climbing up the side of the mountain and climbing over the top row into the stadium about two or three nights before the show. We got to see them setting up the stage and actually got to see the band going through a dress rehearsal and a sound check. It was amazing. 
the show itself was amazing. The sixth song played that night was the fourth song on their Octum Baby album from that year before. The tour that they were on was in support of that album, and I just mentioned that their new album that was about to come out, Zuropa, was also part of that tour. And the song was called Until the End of the World. It was the second song we sang today. For me, when it comes to art and music, I'm pretty open to interpretation. Meaning, like, I allow the artist to kind of guide me and coax me to an open-endedness of interpretation. I don't really usually question the artist whether it was something they painted or wrote lyrics to a song. Yes, some things can be interpreted easily, simply, and straightforward. Others, not so. I just want to let you know. I was 54 years old when I learned that in the song, Until the End of the World, is a conversation between Jesus and Judas. The members of the band, you two, put on their spiritual thinking caps and used their sanctified imaginations to bring this idea of our antagonist and protagonist conversing between themselves. A midrash put to song. You were saying that this sermon was going to be the end of the world. It's okay to laugh. Like, it's kind of like saying amen when you laugh. Jesus speaks, actually sings first, that the last time he sees Judas is when they ate the food and they drank the wine and everybody was having a good time. Because in my mind's eye, using my sanctified imagination and wearing my spiritual thinking cap, what we called the Last Supper was a Passover meal like no other. I do not believe that there was just 12 men there. I think the room was packed with women and men of all ages, children running around and between adults' legs looking for the prize of guilt, women working, men gossiping. Let me just say that again. Women working, men gossiping. Some arguing over the politics and taxes, most wondering, what on earth is going on? Because see, in this week, it was like not just the great processional. This week is known for like, it was the best, best of Jesus's preaching. And not like Jesus could ever be bad, but it was like the best. It is thought that the Beatitudes were preached in this week. And if you didn't know, the Beatitudes is like supposedly the best preaching that Jesus ever did. So they're wondering, what on earth is going on? Because it's not only like the best preaching and the best Jesus and the best of everything, it's like the best Passover we've ever celebrated together. That's what I see when someone says, Last Supper. Judas sings next how easy it was to get away with taking the money, spiking the drink, kissing Jesus and breaking his heart, both singing of talking and acting like it's the end of the world. Because with any good story of antagonist and protagonist, there has to be an epic end. 
But in this story, the Creator has foretold it some 500 to 700 years before with the prophets like Zechariah and Isaiah, who prophesied not only the coming of the Messiah, but also of his betrayal and his death. The Redeemer can't redeem us unless Jesus is betrayed and dies. He must come to us. He must leave us to redeem us. What if Judas gets it? What if he understood it all first? What if he knows what he must do way, 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 way before he must do it? What if he knew the answers to all those parables that Jesus told? What if Judas gets it? And he doesn't want to do it, but he does it anyway. What if Judas was a really good guy, loved everyone? Jesus loves the little children, all the children in the world. What if that was Judas's idea? And he does it anyway, with the help of the prophecy of the Creator and being sustained by the Sustainer. What if Judas gets it? In my sanctified imagination, Judas gets it. He gets it, and because we are followers of Wesley, who has taught us about the gift of free will. Judas gets it, and he chooses it, and he chooses to do it anyway. He knows that he can choose to do otherwise, and yet he does it anyway. He knows that the story is not about a good guy versus bad guy, but a good guy for everyone. For everyone. The prophecies of Zechariah and Isaiah must come true. For this is the Son of Man who must die for us all. Judas gets it. Now what Judas doesn't get, because either the 11 disciples don't get it, at least not yet, what Judas doesn't get is the grace from his fellow disciples. The grace of understanding. Because they don't get it. We do, know, we do not know exactly when Judas took his own life and completed suicide. Matthew, he tries giving back the money when he hears that Jesus has been condemned. I think we lack the grace when we fill in the blanks of the story too quickly. But it makes the end of our story much neater if the antagonist dies. I think that the 11 who didn't get it were hard on Judas. Or maybe Judas was too hard on himself. Though they didn't get it, maybe the disciples gave Judas all they had to give. And that was love and grace. And Judas didn't get that. Grace that spontaneous, unmerited gift of favor, generous, free, and totally unexpected and undeserved.
Judas was heartbroken. He got it before anyone else did. And yet, he couldn't get it in the moment when he needed it most. Grace. Spontaneous. Free. Grace. May be the hardest gift to ever accept. In the end, Judas gets it. In the end, we all get it. The great adventure. Grace. If you're struggling and you need help, please ask for it. If you know someone who's struggling, check in on them. Again and again and again. Let them know that you love them, that you care, that you want to help. In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer,